Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. You gotta understand something here. This music is the glue of the world. It holds it all together. Without this, life would be meaningless. so crazy about it's just music welcome to sound opinions from chicago public radio and american public media i'm jim diorgatis the pop music critic at the chicago sun times and i'm greg cott i write about rock and roll for the chicago tribune today on the world's only rock and roll talk show we've got a best of live performances at the show. Listeners out there in New York, in Minneapolis, and in Unalaska, <laughs> we're big in Alaska, you know that, Greg. We are. Unalaska. I have not heard these performances because in some cases they were taped when we were only airing here in Chicago. And so uh, it's a good time for everybody to catch up. We have this incredible performance facility here, the Jim and Kay Maybe studio, and uh, to see our public radio colleagues crane, like all of a sudden, like, is that John Cale walking in? <laughs> Is that Billy Gibbons? Holy cow, who are those guys bringing in here? Now, usually it's like, you know, the governor. Who cares? Yeah, <laughs> but we got the real rock and rollers. <laughs> rock and roll, I'm telling you. Featuring performances today from uh, Colin Malloy of the Decemberists, Jenny Lewis of Rilo Kiley, who put on an extraordinary solo album earlier this year, and we got some uh, music from that. The Black Rebel Motorcycle Club in a stripped-down uh, duo format, which I thought really showed another side of them that most people may not realize no, they that have. Was cool. Feist, uh, the fantastic singer-songwriter from uh, Canada, and uh, Art Brute, one of our very favorite bands from the UK. Woo! Not only uh, most engaging guests, guests yeah. but funniest, and also gave a, a, a fine performance at the studio. But our first guest is, I think, uh, indicative of really where we wanted to go with this show when we moved over to public radio. I don't think we could have picked a better first guest, which was John Cale, uh, the founding member of the Velvet Underground, and on the occasion of a very fine solo record called Black Acetate, he came into the studio with his touring band and gave a terrific performance. This is November of 2005. John, with the band and uh, doing an interview, we started out by talking about some of the legendary records he's produced. You as a producer, as a guy who sort of set the template for a whole generation of music by producing the debut albums of the Stooges and Patti Smith and Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers, and now your interest in hip-hop leads me to believe, I mean, do you ever have the notion of going back in the studio and saying, geez, what if we work in some hybrid areas with some of these newer artists that you're admiring, you know, Pharrell Williams and Snoop Dogg, people like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to spend an afternoon with Dre. Yeah, but it, it, you know, the hybrid is the answer. There's always a new hybrid around the corner. You're able to intellectualize it now, but was that kind of thought in your mind when you were producing those records, which became no, timeless back then? No, that was really about the personalities. I mean, if you, the minute you met Maddie, the minute you met Patty, that was it. You knew that there was, there was really a vision there, and it was just a case of. Well, How do we get that with Iggy, right? you, you know, you got five days to finish, record, and mix an album. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You get it on. Like 
how would how would fear or guts have sounded? You know, those great records from your your island years have sounded different if you had Pro Tools at that point. I mean, it seemed to me that you were working fast and dirty, and those are those are raucous rock albums. Yeah, but I had Manzanera and and uh, and Brian to help. Yeah, I mean, that's, it, it was still a case of uh, these are the changes. Well, you be, you come up with the guitar part. Mm-hmm. I don't care what key the song is in. This is yeah. the guitar part, <laughs> and I like that. John, you are always going to be followed around with wherever you go, as long as you live, and then when you die, you will still have John Cale, founder of the Velvet Underground. How does that legacy hold up for you? I mean, I know there's been a lot of ups and downs, some acrimony there. I was in your apartment in New York when you and Lou were exchanging faxes. <laughs> the famous fax war, yeah. And, uh, and, and, and not liking each other so much. Obviously, it was a nice opportunity to play again with Sterling Morrison before he died. But how do you feel about that legacy being attached to your name? I mean, you can't be anything but proud of it. I mean, I don't think we did anything that was really awful. If we inspired a lot of people, that's that's all you can hope for, you know. Mm. But your career has never been about dwelling in the past. No. Y- your beef with Lou was that you wanted to move forward and write new songs and to and to improvise and to not be stuck in one place. You could make imitation John Cale music for the rest of your life, and people would pay to come see you. <sighs> Yeah, yeah, you could just rewrite fear. I'd become a really nasty old man if I. Did. <laughs> I wanted to speaking of nasty. I wanted to ask you my favorite quote in What's Welsh Present, yeah. your uh, autobiography with Victor Bacchus, is uh, it says oh, you're in college still in Wales prior to coming to America, and uh, you got voted by your peers the most hateful student <laughs> in the school. And you've always been so nice to me, <laughs> I, to Greg. I, I know. Those are the days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we want to know what you did to earn that, John. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I like to know. <laughs> Are you still angry? Yeah. And yeah. It, come, it comes out on some tracks on this album. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's, it's a good creative. I'm glad I've got a creative outlet for it. I mean, It keeps you from getting on the I wouldn't want to be in politics, rifle. for instance. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think there are great moments of beauty on, on Black Acetate as well, John. You're here in the studio with your band, and I think playing a song like Set Me Free would be a great example of that. She tries to set you free 
vision of the hangman's daughter and what she'll mean to you if she should set you free. That was Set Me Free from John Cale, his most recent solo record, Black Acetate, as performed right here on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, and we are taking you through some of the interviews and performances over the first year of the show that you may have missed, unless you've been podcasting, <laughs> and even if you have, they're worth hearing again, because this is some great stuff. Colin Malloy's band, The Decemberists, has just released their uh, Capitol Records debut album. It's extraordinary. We reviewed it just a couple of weeks ago on Sound Opinions, but when Malloy came in to see us in January, he was on a solo tour playing in sort of stripped-down acoustic mode he played a song by his very first band was called Tarkio this is Tristan and Isolde would you like to go out tonight to Tristan to Isolde it's a lovely night to go to the Odeon Sit in the back row I'm sick of staying in Oh So they threw on some clothes Wandered slowly down the street Lit by lantern lights through the market square, studied the marquee, 
Bought two tickets and some popcorn And on the screen The hero stands With female lead Hand in hand And says God I love you But you trouble me She pushes him away And as the credits rolled Tristan turned to his old Said what did you think It was okay I guess That story's pretty old It's a bit cliche and hackneyed I thought I thought And back out on the street They stop for some ice cream Talking quietly There was nobody in the room in which they sat As he reached across the table And just as their fingers caught Timidly he whispered sigh And says God I love you But you trouble me Said Tristan to his own Said Tristan to his own Nice, cool. Nice tune from Tristan uh, is old. Thank you. Colin Malloy's first band, Tarkio. Moved on to the Decembrists, and the Decembrists are sort of regarded, uh, they've been dubbed an orchestral pop band, very uh, you know, lush kind of orchestrations on the records, elaborate arrangements. But Colin, when it comes right down to it, it's, it either works as a song or it doesn't when you can play it with a single guitar, and I would imagine that's where a lot of those songs start, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, that's one of the nice things about this solo tour is that people, I think, those who want to can really hear these songs in the way they were originally written and, you know, recorded. I, you know, demo everything basically just with voice and guitar Mm -hmm. before I turn it over to the bandmates. So you can just see it in its original form. And a song like Tristan and His Old betrays those uh, literary roots of yours. You were a creative writing major, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and storytelling is what you really want to do, whether it's one guitar and a voice or with the entire Decemberist kind of fleshed out arrangement. Yeah. I mean, I hate to refer to myself as a storyteller. I think there's something kind of trite about that, like calling like songwriters storytellers. I, yeah. I don't know. That yeah, it might, makes you think of like Bruce Springsteen that, with a guitar on VH1. Right. That might just yeah. be my, my conceit. But um, – it's just more interesting and more challenging for me to create some sort of narrative, even if, if it's really literal or, or really abstract. I feel like 
the best songs are the ones that feel like they have an, a nice arc to them and follow similar patterns as you would follow writing a, a short story. So I guess I just kind of apply the same rules. Much like the Zombies or some of the bands in the uh, the early psychedelic era in England, you're interested in capturing kind of lost eras. I mean, sometimes you're writing about the Victorian period or pre-World War One. or Tristan and Isolde didn't meet at the shopping mall. I mean, you... Right, yeah. I guess it's just trying to juxtapose the two, the sort of old world aesthetic with more of a modern sensibility. And, and I think it's interesting you bring up the Zombies because that was a huge part of the psychedelic movement of the 60s it was this fascination with Victorian things. I think that that goes back to the fact that the Victorian age actually was really involved, you know, this sort of colonial era for England was really interested in exotic, faraway climbs, Persia and, yeah. and Asia. and, and Back that, before and, the sun faded on the empire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and I think it's that kind of excitement about the exotic and and is was what really flavored the psychedelic era and then in turn, you know, has influenced modern pop music. It, it, it gets you away too, I think, uh, in, in listening to the December albums especially. It gets you away from that trope where you're constantly writing about I broke up with my girlfriend and my, my heart is shattered and woe is me, I'm so sad. You've really avoided doing that sort of thing, writing these sort of fabulous kind of epics that you're yeah, <laughs> known for. Which is not to say that that kind of writing is, is bad or, or wrong, like a whole medium, the whole genre of yeah. rock and roll is built around that. Sure. And, and I think that there's a lot of power in the simplicity of those statements. I guess what's just most interesting to me is, is taking those same sort of emotions, you know, the things that drive pop songwriting and, and just putting it through a few filters. I mean, I, I feel like there's a lot of me in, in the, the Legionnaire stuck in the desert or, you know, <laughs> the, the parade to, to crown the Infanta and things like that. That's Colin Malloy. Yes, he is the legionnaire in the desert. He's oh, also... Uh, <laughs> you can hear how it led to the, the new four-part, 12-minute suite on the new album. You oh can hear God. where it was coming from. We're going to be back with more of our all-star lineup of best performances on Sound Opinions with uh, performances from Jenny Lewis, the Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, and Art Brute. That's all going to be next on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Sound
Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, the brewers of Next Coast IPA, 312 Urban Wheat Ale, and Bourbon County Stout. Pairing beer and music since 1988, they believe it's always best to listen critically and enjoy responsibly. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. I was of poor folk, but my mother had a rabbit fur coat. Then a girl of less character pushed her down the L.A. River and over that rabbit fur coat. Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis of the Chicago Sun-Times. My partner is Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune. And that great voice you just heard uh, moments ago, that belonged to Jenny Lewis. She's probably best known for uh, being the lead singer in the band Rilo Kiley. We know and love her as the solo artist Jenny Lewis, who put out a great record earlier this year called Rabbit Fur Coat. It's an album filled with what I like to call secular gospel music, which is basically taking the sound of gospel, that haunted fervor that you associate with those great gospel records of the first half of the 20th century and taking it into a more modern, secular area. She's singing about everyday life, bringing that sound to it. No, absolutely. And Jenny came into the studio with her band, which included the backing vocalists Lee and Chandra Watson, who also put out a really good record on their own uh, last year. The Watson twins are very much part of the sound of this album and are part of this performance. But before uh, Jenny played for us, we asked her about the religious and spiritual songs that sort of run through the whole disc. I didn't really intend to write a record about um, believing or disbelieving in God. And I think the beginning of the record with a song like The Big Guns kind of poses these questions. And by the end of the record, I don't think I've really figured anything out at all. (laughs) Kind of just chasing my own tail a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I don't really pretend to understand, nor do I intend to preach to anyone. But I think, you know, the songs are definitely secular, but I think the girls, of course, bring a a gospel element. Can you speak to that a little bit, Leon Chandra, you know, your background and how you connected with Jenny in terms of this kind of music? I would say, well, we started um, singing in choirs in Louisville, Kentucky, which is where we grew up. We learned how to sing harmonies there, but it was kind of something that was came very easy to us. I think being twins and being sisters, it's something that you just sort of innately know where that person's going to go in their harmonies. You know, it's something that we've always we've always kind of had this style of a singing. And when we met with Jenny, the songs just immediately clicked especially with that song, like the call and response aspect of it. Doing that, you know, was just came naturally to us and we've just sort of... We come from like, you know, country and bluegrass music and that has a lot of gospel and religious influence in general. So I think that has helped and we love soul music as well. So it sort of all kind of comes together to make a pretty picture. <laughs> well, it, it it sounds great, and I think it was kind of unexpected, Jenny, from you. Um, people didn't realize maybe that you had this side to you, you know, listening to the Rilo Kiley records, which are more, you know, pop records, pop rock, and this is soul gospel side to you. And I know that you've mentioned this uh, Laura Nero record that she made with LaBelle, Gonna Take a Miracle, is kind of a, a signpost for you. And again, you know, it's not like, yeah, I was listening to Black Flag B-Sides, I was listening to <laughs> Laura Nero, you know. So to talk a little bit about that uh, influence on this record. I don't know if this record sounds anything like that great Laura Nero record, but all I know is that it was the first record of my mother's record collection that I fell in love with, and we would sing along to it, you know, on Sundays in the kitchen while making uh, breakfast. 
Um, so it was really important to me. And I think it sort of left with me the desire to sing with women. Having grown up singing with my mom and my sister, um, it kind of made sense to then sing with the girls. Um, but that's just a great record. And, and we've been touring a little bit, and we do a song from that record, which isn't actually a Laura Nero song, but it's called I Met Him on a Sunday. Well, I met him on a Sunday. great to just kind of pay homage to one of my favorite records. And, and I take it this kind of music maybe didn't fit onto a Rilo Kylie record? Well, I don't, I don't know if that was really, if I was really aware of that. I think when you're in a band, people tend to want to participate. So a song like Rabbit for Coat wouldn't make it on a Rilo Kylie record. There would be a shaker or a synthesizer or, you know, something going on underneath. So I guess with this, I wanted to kind of let the songs um, be in the forefront and then the voices. And uh, I think some of these songs could have possibly been on a Rilo Kylie record. And I recorded a couple of extra songs for this record that didn't make it on the record that it'll probably end up on the next Rilo Kylie record. Yeah. It's interesting, Jenny, that you mentioned <clears throat> Rabbit Fur Coat, the title track, because in addition to uh, to being stripped down, it's also intensely personal, I think, <laughs> unless you're you're portraying a character. When you you know you have someone talking about the mixed blessing of, of the hundred thousand dollar childhood, <laughs> it's a, it's a question I'm certain you were sick to death of. Uh, you know, but you were an actress at an early age, and I mean, I heard it and said, "Wow, here's a really personal song about the challenges and and also the good things uh, about." But most of the challenges in that song, you have a drug addicted mom, stage mom, kind of managing the career of this kid. I think, you know, there are some characters at play in that song, and it's a, a complex sentiment within a very kind of simple song. You know, mm. the chords are very simple. And there are elements that ring true, but I, I think it's important to say that, that uh, my life is not quite that interesting. So <laughs> Yeah. yeah. But in, 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 general, are the, uh, in general, are these more personal songs than, than what you do in a band setting? Not necessarily. I think mm. there have been some pretty personal songs, you know, on the last three Rilo Kylie records. Again, you know, it's tough to know where the the truth ends and the the uh, lying begins. Yeah. <laughs> well, there is that that question of of authenticity. I mean, critics, so many critics, not particularly Greg and myself, are obsessed with that question. You know, Greg and I have inf- interviewed any number of old bluesmen who you know are singing the back porch blues, but they got out of the Cadillac, you know, when they were going to do it. But the old country world is so obsessed with this notion: is she real or not? You know, and I mean, does that sort of ever bother you? Well, I, I think it's important to understand California. I'm from California, and that's, you know, if you think about some of the music that came out of central California, you know, sure. the Hillbilly Swing and mm. Bob Wills. Mm-hmm. And so I think this kind of music made its way out west. Um, so don't don't exclude us because you yeah, know, I'm yeah. not from uh, the south. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. Uh, you get outside L.A. and there's some real pockets of very rural and very country-influenced uh, stuff there. There's no Bakersfield. doubt about it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Bakersfield. Mm -hmm. We have it. Why don't you guys play another tune? Tell us about it. What are you going to play? We're going to play The Charge in Sky. 
That was The Charging Sky. Uh, great performance by Jenny Lewis and her band, uh, as well as the Watson Twins. We can't forget them. Such a crucial part of that sound uh, right here on Sound Opinions. As we continue our best of live show here on Sound Opinions, we're going to turn to the Black Rebel Motorcycle Club from up in the Bay Area. Peter Hayes and Robert Turner of the band came through town in support of their mostly acoustic album, Howl, this past March. It's a different sort of record, Greg, and uh, a different kind of performance from BRMC. I like the way you guys have just completely exploded uh, all the attempts to sort of stereotype you guys. People seem to think uh, they had you figured out after the first album, and now the third record, Howl. uh, you, You compare the third album to the first one. And you think, wow, there's two different bands here. But it's when, in fact, it's one and the same. Uh, the first record was really dense, layered, almost a forbidding kind of electric assault. And now you've, you've made a very stripped-down acoustic record. Yeah, yeah. On that first record, everyone was saying, these guys are just redoing the Jesus and Mary chain. Did that bother you? 
we'd always, you know, anytime we'd be interviewed and it would be a question about, um, you know, what are your influences? It would be My Buddy Valentine and Mary Chain and Stone Roses and Bob Dylan and Sam Cooke. And, you know, we'd, we'd name them all and then we'd read the interview and they would cut the Dylan and the Sam Cooke out and they would kind of make <laughs> mm-hmm. a point about, oh, they're a very British-sounding band. Da, da, da. And they would try and spin their article the way they needed. We'd always, you know, we were, we were trying to warn people what was, <laughs> what was coming best we could. It was just always kind of, you know edited down so this record was it wasn't edited down this is the other side of the coin i guess and it was always common my heart was always with kind of old kind of staple singers and sam cook and otis redding and a lot of kind of more things like that that i think is kind of the most for me like if i could do that for real i'd probably skip out in this rock and roll thing and do that but i'm no you know soul singer so mm-hmm. <laughs> i just think that music just comes from the heart and and the gut and so i feel it a bit more than anything so, gospel song and some things like that. Just one. I just wanted to try, you know. It's yeah. kind of the way well, we look I, at it. When I reviewed the album, I, mean, I I compared it to an experiment like the Rolling Stones' Wild Horses. They were they were out of their genre element too. But you know, by paying homage to to this music they love, they they came up with something completely fresh and new, and just one of their most heartfelt songs. Which is how Hal struck me from the get go. Right on. Thank you. I guess the only thing is like trying. We didn't want to do anything we couldn't pull off, even if your heart's in it, but maybe your chops aren't, you know? And, and there also seems to be an element of courage, you know, letting your guard down a little bit, letting people hear you guys kind of a little bit less in a more intimate setting, too. A um, fuzz box covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> <laughs> you, <laughs> you guys got some good fuzz boxes. <laughs> you know, did it take some personal courage to get to that place where you could sort of do that and be, be more exposed like that? Mm. We had to practice. That mm-hmm. was kind of, we had to actually learn the instruments for real. That was kind of the challenge, you know, because it wasn't gonna you weren't gonna stand up there and try to do something that you couldn't do. So that was what made it easier, you know what I mean? Like you actually had to like go through with it. Had to actually sit down and really write these words because there's nothing standing in front of them anymore, you know. The stories had to actually hold and carry you. That was a good challenge, you know. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And you uh, can get away with a lot with distortion. Yeah, you can make mistakes all over the place and never heard. You, know? <laughs> you can't really get away with it. And there's nothing wrong with distortion. We're we're both distortion lovers oh, here. Big believe fans, me, big fans. <laughs> no, I, but it's a, I can't play guitar, so yeah. I'm a bigger fan. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing okay there, Pete. I gotta say, you're doing yeah. all right on that acoustic. Um, well, and you guys wound up playing a lot of instruments that you don't actually play, right? I mean, there's mandolin and trombone and mm, yeah. Well, but we played that in high school. That was the thing. That I <laughs> we didn't know it. We were, we were in different grades. He was like a year above me, but we were both in in band. We were both trombone players. We didn't know it until like just a couple years ago. <laughs> wow. So yeah. this was in San Francisco? We both tried to keep it as quiet as we could. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we don't brag about that one very yeah. often. We're uh, with Black Rebel Motorcycle Club on Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio. What do you guys right. got for us? Well, we got Shuffle. Yeah. I do, darling. 
wonder for the soulmate dreamers No wonder for the wicked man No wonder for the peaceful protest That keeps the war in demand Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Peter Hayes and Robert Bean of Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. Uh, true or false? I, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club was Brando's biker gang in Wild Ones, right? Yeah. There you go. All right. All right. I what wanted to make the, sure I had that right. What was the other gang's name? Oh, man. I don't know. The Beatles. The Beat? Really? Mm. Wow. That's a good trivia question. That is a great yeah. one. Kind of takes guts, though, in San Francisco to come out with a name like that. I mean, that's like Hells Angels Central still, right? I don't know exactly. A little bit. We got trouble once we left San Francisco. Once we started traveling around the country and you get you get motorcycle games coming out and being, you know, a little bit put off and not really knowing what's going on. And then they would just see Black Barrel Motorcycle Club on, on this marquee and they'd come and they'd inform us that you're... You have to be sanctioned by the Hells Angels to call yourself a motorcycle club. But, <laughs> you know, it's a thing they take seriously. So we understood, but we'd also say, you know, we're not trying to be anything. We're not. We're just a, a band coming through town and buy them a beer. and Yeah, turn know. up the fuzz box. And, yeah, turn <laughs> and up the hope they don't throw anything. As loud as possible. <laughs> no, no, fellas, <laughs> just put those pool cues down. Let's all sit down and have a beer. <laughs> all right. They're, they're good guys. They, and then they teach you a little something about the real story of that film, you know, because mm-hmm. it's a true story. and. That was the first story that any motorcycle gang was ever anything but just nice could bring home to mom and dad. And then all of a sudden they had this horrible reputation. Mm-hmm. They're just old, air, you know, like Air Force pilots that wanted to hang out together and still yeah. ride bikes. And that was all it was. And then they became the the bad people that you know you don't want to see coming and roll into town. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you guys for coming in. This has been a complete treat. Thank oh, you man. for having. Me. Thanks, guys. Gotta love the trivia, Jim. I had no idea that the Beatles was the name of the other motorcycle club I did not in that remember movie. That, no. So you get bonus points for listening to Sound Opinions. Not only do you get these live performances, but there's all sorts of trivia you can drop at parties. 
that it's going to impress people. (laughs) Yes, indeed. You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. It is our special Best of Live Performances and Interviews edition. When we come back, we have a beautiful solo performance from Feist of the very interesting Toronto music scene. And then the perfect capper for this show, the endlessly entertaining Art Brute. This is Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis of the Chicago Sun-Times. My partner is Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune. We're going to have a bit more now of some of our favorite guests from the show's first year. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune, and Jim DeRogatis is my partner from the Sun-Times, and we're here with Leslie Feist, otherwise known as Feist. She's got a solo record out, and in addition to her uh, tenure in Broken Social Scene, a uh, indie rock band from Toronto, and a uh, collaboration with her former roommate, Peaches, which is, how would we describe Peaches? Well, if people aren't familiar with Peaches, I mean, that's kind of an electro, electro clash, I think, is what generally is used as a, but, you know, she's kind of a, a hip-hop underpinning and this avant-garde electronic stuff and uh, very, rapping more than singing. Very in your face. I mean, Whereas it's very broken, confrontational. Yeah, she's just Peaches. There's no other word yeah. for Peaches. I go with that. She's yeah. <laughs> so, Beyond so, description. So, Feist, you've been across the board. You've done everything there is to be done in music, it seems like. Indie rock oh my band. God. I don't this play kind the violin of performance yet. art thing. Now you're doing sort of a, a more subdued singer-songwriter kind of uh, approach. What haven't you done? I don't know. There's plenty. I mean, up until a couple of years ago, I felt silly even saying I was a musician sitting next to someone on an airplane in case they were in some philharmonic. And they'd say, well, what do you do? And at that <laughs> point, I wear aerobic outfits and jump around <laughs> with a sock puppet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Peaches does have this this element of absurdity in performance art, yeah. which is why I think anybody who only knew you from from that context, or for that matter, who only knew you from, from Broken Social Scene, was really surprised by Let It Die. It's your debut album. It's had this long, slow build, kind of garnering buzz on the underground. Uh, it's sort of cocktail exotica, you know, <laughs> uh, like cool lounge music. I mean... Jewel, if Jewel had taste. Good Lord. Can I? Where's the door? Where's the door? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, what genre would you say you're working in? Well, 
I think it's always harder to put a any kind of title on something that's coming from the inside. You know, I don't mm-hmm. really know what where it once it comes out, where does it land? You know, and and depending on the country and the ears listening and the person and the context they're going to be comparing to of all the records they've had in their life, every person has some other. You know, I, I've actually been able to completely detach myself with a good ironic distance to to laugh at all the descriptions I've heard yeah. because people <laughs> compare it to stuff I've never heard and then stuff I have and I like you know every every instance is yeah. is really funny for me because well that's fair enough I think you know a lot of musicians do feel that way well, but if you had to say someone that you most emulated that you wanted to oh geez well, I don't know. I I think emulation you you lose the you lose the battle even before you begin. I mean, sure. Probably there's you, everybody. We're all just sponges, and we take in the things that we listen to and read. And you know, I, I always say that my musical influences are, are are equally interactions I have with people on the bus if they're kind to me or really <laughs> yeah, horrible yeah. to me. You know, that stuff all finds its way. Come it comes out again in some. But so I'm, I'm sidewinding your, your <laughs> well, no, it's you know <laughs> dodging the question, but doing it charmingly. It, it started out uh, exactly as you're sitting here, really, with a guitar and your voice and a four-track tape recorder, basically. I mean, that's... yeah, exactly. All that Peaches stuff and the Broken Social Scene stuff and and a lot of other collaborations I did in Toronto. All that was happening simultaneously, and on any given weekend, someone could happen upon the little coffee house kind of place called Say What in Toronto, and I'd be playing a solo set with my four-track with some backing tracks that I'd recorded at home that afternoon and solos show. And then on Friday with By Divine Right, this rock band that I was in for a few years where I was just a rhythm guitarist and I didn't sing and Mm -hmm. I got to just jump on top of the monitors (laughs) and play rock guitar. And they could walk into that on the Friday and then Saturday it could be in an art gallery with Peaches and those those early days. And that could happen any given weekend. Well, before we, people who haven't heard you, why don't don't you play us a song? Okay. first song on the record and it's called Gatekeeper Well it's time to begin as the summer sets in it's the scene set for new lovers you play a part painting it and start that each gate will open another to lie on our kisses it's probably hard to plan ahead to lie on our kisses well it's better to bask in each other oh gatekeeper seasons wait for you not gatekeeper you held your breath made the summer go on and on well they tried to stay in from the cold and the wind making love and making a dinner only to find that the love that they grew in the summer well it froze Oh, February, April, said Don't be fooled by that summer again February, April, said Will I have for the year where we'll never be friends? Gatekeeper, seasons wait 
Gatekeeper from Leslie Feist. What a song. I love that song. You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. And we've got one more band to go. Jim, I cannot think of a better way to end this uh, all-star lineup of our first year's live performances than with this band. One of the bands of the year. One of the bands of the century. <laughs> you could put them in a time capsule and say, this was rock and roll. Art Brute. Art Brute with us on Sound Opinions last May. We are here at beautiful wall-to-wall recordings on the near north side of Chicago with Art Brute, all the way from England, uh, visiting our Mary Mary. Currently one of our favorite bands in the world. We were just at uh, South by Southwest Music Conference in Austin, Texas, 1,400 bands. I forgot 1,399 other bands. <laughs> yeah. This band right here, I went to see them twice. That's how good they were. First time, great. Had a smile on my face. Couldn't even take notes. Just smiling the whole time. Well, and I told you guys, I, I went to see that second show. I was hoping you'd suck so that I could argue with him about it. And I, I, I walked out of that venue going, oh, brood, talk with the pulps. And then I went home and I said, well, you know, they can't be any good on record. I mean, all right, that was a fun show, but I had a couple of beers. And the record's great. The guys are all set up. Before we have any more conversation, I think we ought to have you guys play a song for us. Uh, record was out in the U.K. last year and has caused quite a stir over here. Finally going to be officially released. What do you guys want to play for us first? Um, I think we're going to play My Little Brother. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Good plan, Art Brute. Yeah, they're all nodding. It's good. Let's go.
All right. Art Brute is in the house. We're here at Wall to Wall Studios with Art Brute, Eddie, Ian, Jasper, Freddie, and Mikey. Thanks, guys, for coming in. Eddie, uh, tell us about how the band got started. It was at a party, right? Um, yeah. I'd had another band before, and they'd all gone to university. So I moved to London to start another band. But everyone was saying no to me because I can't play an instrument or sing. So I was going around this party asking everyone to be in a band with me. And um, they all said no. And I was getting drunk as I went around too. So by the time I got to Chris, our old guitarist, I, um, I was telling loads of lies and saying that I'd had albums out before. And I, I, could, I could sing like Frank Sinatra and all, you know, all this business. And uh, so, yeah, he believed me and said um, that we'd have a band together. And then he taught Freddie, a bass player, how to play the bass. And I thought to even the scale up a little bit, I'd better get one of my friends in. So mm-hmm. I got my heavy metal guitarist friend, Ian Catskill. <laughs> and that is an impressive belt, heavy metal guitarist. <laughs> with the, yes. Both Art Brute guitarists are, have got like all sorts of studs on their belts. Ian and, and Jasper are comparing belts right now. <laughs> <laughs> very, very rock. Too much rock. But Eddie, one of the things that's great about so much of your music is that it's about wanting to make music. And yeah. despite the fact that I have no talent, I'm not going to let that stop me. <laughs> <laughs> I try to learn so many different instruments, and I just can't. And then one day I heard you know, like Lou Reed and Damon Alburn singing and thought, they can't sing. I can, I can learn that instrument. It's just having a voice. Do you mean so? Right. I did that. That's and I, a personality. Uh, oh, thank you very much. Well, you were messing around though in, in bands where it was kind of more about personality and and having uh-huh. sort of a a stage presence as opposed to a, any actual musical ability that yeah, <laughs> got my, you through. In my first band with Jasper, I used to play the Hoover, a vacuum cleaner, vacuum cleaner. Yeah. <laughs> so would you, would you mic the Hoover vacuum cleaner? Well, it's really hard to find where the sound comes from. So I was just kind uh-huh. of. I'd end up just kind of like moving the microphone around until I found the right uh, <laughs> we played once and someone was just screaming at me that's not music with the hands over the ears wow so, that's we, great but I was like ah no it is it's just clever clever jazz <laughs> you don't understand <laughs> well you know and, and Jim was mentioning the directness of the lyrics you know celebrating being a band celebrating you know my little brother people take it as kind of irony shtick tongue in cheek <laughs> yeah <laughs> like formed a band people always think I'm joking in that and I'm I was just very excited and trying to convince them to let me stay. You know, I was like, we can make Israel and Palestine get along. We can get on top of the pops. We can go, oh, come on, like a speech almost, you know, so they didn't kick me out. So uh, <laughs> that, was, that was that. And things like my little brother's just, just concerned, really. He lived at the foot of my bed before he moved to London. I was just worried about him, so it came out in that song. So oh, that's um, autobiographical. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're, all, they're all true, the songs. <laughs> How's your little brother doing now? You seem very concerned about him in that song. He's okay, you know, he got his hair cut, got a job in the sea. All works out fine. <laughs> that's not true. Terrific. Well, how about no, a, there, He hasn't hit you up to go roadie with him, uh, yeah. with you guys yet, has he? No, no. He's got his own band now called Loopy Velez. They're quite good. Wow. He's got is, a song. is there jealousy? Oh, he's got a song that goes, he formed a band, he formed a band, but we formed a band just a little bit better. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> Which I quite like. We keep referencing this song, Formed a Band. Uh-huh. Is it possible that, that we could hear it? You want it? Okay. Yeah. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> <laughs> Ready up, Brute.
my singing voice. We're never gonna be rock and roll. What we're doing is talking. To the kids! We formed a band from Art Brute, laying it all out. I, I don't see how you can say it any better than that. I don't see how you can write a better song than that. One of the songs of the year. We had it here on Sound Opinions. Great all-star lineup of performances that we just aired. Next week, we've got uh, one of our favorite guests ever on Sound Opinions, I would have to say. A man who's been on the show several times in the past and has never let us down in the quality of his answers and giving us also a live performance next week that I think will perk up That's a few years. A we've got yes. Moby, multi-platinum selling Moby, who's uh, celebrating a bit of a career retrospective with a new Best Of record. Greg, we got some thank yous to say on the way out as always Tori Southside Malatia is our executive producer Todd Bachman is our managing producer and director Matt Fingers Spiegel was putting together this special best of show he's our producer our beloved associate producers are Robin Lynn and Jason Saldana we get some technical help from Joe Dassault some legal assistance from Dino Armiros and after Eddie Argos I think Jim Russell at American Public Media is the second most unlikely rock star <laughs> in the world <laughs> 